right. It's so good to hear uh, testimonies uh, of Gusta and Demi and Tosin and knowing that even in the times where things, so many things stop, God does not stop his work. He does not stop blessing his community. And it's a blessing to hear experiences uh, from our brothers and understand a little bit more who God is through what he is doing. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in this church. And may you keep um, uh, bringing and uh, may we have more and more stories to share with each other um, because of what you are constantly doing. And may we have just a mindset to be open and to, to see the way you, you are working in our lives and bring a grateful heart to that. Amen. God loves to reveal himself. He loves to display uh, more of himself to his creation. You know, we just had Christmas a month ago, and you know that kind of excitement when you have uh, a, a present and it's wrapped around paper, and if, you, if you're taking a wrapping the, the, the paper out piece by piece, and you start seeing a little bit more of what's inside, and so your excitement uh, starts uh, growing. That's how God also loves uh, to reveal step by step as we read the Bible from beginning, from Genesis, and we more and more understand of who God is. And in this series of God, the miracles, uh, for me, that has been exactly the point. Through um, the mighty works of God, through all the wonders and all the signs, this God of wonders that we've just sang reveals a little bit more of himself through these miracles. And that's something I've been challenged uh, particularly to think really through uh, this week as I was trying to prepare this message. Um, who are you, God? Um, uh, I want to learn more about your character. Um, I don't think we are that focused on, um, on, on what the miracles uh, are. I mean, we can clearly read what happened. Uh, definitely, we cannot give an explanation on how the miracle happened. I mean, for us, it's just uh, it's a supernatural uh, thing. Um, but we're interested to know why that miracle uh, happened. And in this series, why has God revealed and done the miracles he did? What was behind all that? What's the character of God? What's the goal? And what's the, the purpose? I was led to think uh, this week on the story of the prophet Elijah. Uh, we can find it in the book of Kings in the Old Testament. And let me give you a brief contest. A hundred years after the most beloved king, King David, had ruled in the nation of Israel, a hundred years had passed and the nation was divided. There was the northern region and the south region, several civil wars, many people killed, and there was a huge division among God's people. The northern king, King Ahab, he married a foreign queen, and she brought with her many foreign gods and many idolatry. And this king allowed all these foreign gods to be introduced into the culture, into the day-to-day, -day, and they became such an idolatrous um, uh, country. People start following many other gods, and many prophets of the one true God, Yahweh, were persecuted and killed. So God chose a man called Elijah 
to prophesy, to speak to those people, to try to bring them back to the one true God. And right now we are in a situation where God, through Elijah, prophesied that no rain would fall for three years. And so the king Ahab, he's mad and he wants to find out where is Elijah, this prophet that prophesied that no rain uh, uh, was going to happen. Uh, and indeed, it did not rain. So we are going to read in 1 Kings 18, the moment when finally King Ahab finds prophet Elijah. So I'm reading on the chapter 18 and I'm using NLT translation. When Ahab finally saw him, he explained, So, is it you, you troublemaker of Israel? He said to Elijah. And Elijah replied, I have made no trouble for Israel, but you and your families are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord, and you have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is your God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Let's stop here. As we go through these uh, couple of verses, we will stop in different sections and try to extract um, a few um, uh, teachings. Here we find a clear tension between King Ahab and Elijah. Why? Again, because King Ahab let himself being dragged into idolatry, allowing the introduction of foreign gods. And here we, uh, Elijah talks about the two main gods that were present at the time people used to follow. Baal and Asherah. You know, Baal, um, the name means Lord of Master, and he was designated as the God of fertility and earth. He was designated as the Lord of storms, of rain and dew. And it's understandable why God then said, Elijah, it will not rain for three years, so the people will know that I, Yahweh, am the God and not the so-called God of rains. I will make the rain stop. You know, people were so into Baal worship. And there's descriptions of how these worship, uh, worship sessions to this Baal God. Adults would gather around the altar of Baal and infants would be burned alive as offerings to this God. Sacrificial offerings would be made. And while they were being burned alive, the congregants, women and men alike, they would engage in bisexual orgies around the, sacri the sacrifices. How corrupted the nation had become because of other gods that not, they were not the one true God. This was pretty serious. So Elijah, when he finally has the opportunity to meet King Ahab, then he asks, summon all the people and meet me in Mount Carmel. And as they got together in that day, Elijah stood before a big crowd and he was facing two types of people. One, 
the idolatrous, those that had completely surrendered their lives to another god, their customs, their, they, they totally neglect the one true God, Yahweh. But he also faces many undecisive people. And by undecisive, I mean people who would either embrace Baal, Asherah, God Yahweh, many other gods, you know, like, I don't know exactly what's the truth, so let me just embrace everything, maybe I'll get it something right here. But other people that probably would still um, internally in their house worship Yahweh, the God that they knew from their ancestors, but publicly probably worship Baal in fear of what the others might think. So Elijah is looking at the crowd and he challenged them to make up their minds. A decision had to be made. They could not serve two masters at the same time. And Elijah uses this expression, stop uh, hobblings, or in other words, stop walking awkwardly. Stop limping in your faith. I think Elijah's question still resonates to us today. We must constantly decide to either allow God to be the Lord of our lives or allow the world to rule over us. We are not called to limp in our faith, but to be runners of the race that is set before us. And a runner is fit. A runner is disciplined. A runner thinks through what he can or cannot eat, the times of his training, what he or he cannot do, so that he performs the race with excellency the best way possible. And we are called to be runners of our faith and not to limp. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters at the same time. Your loyalty cannot be divided. Either we embrace God's standards or in God's worldview, or we embrace any other view. The Apostle John says this in the book of 1 John chapter 2. Do not love this world, not the things it offers. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. In other words, what is this? things of the world. John is, uh, explains like these things are the world are things that we want to please our sinful desires or wanting the things that we see and are sinful. And by sinful, I mean they are not according to God's standards or the things that we are so proud of, the, the, the things we have and we, we look so much at our own kingdom that we forget the, the people around us. Which things are making our faith limping? For example, is pornography taking control of your life during lockdown? We spend more and more time alone in our either rooms, in our houses, more time alone in front of computers. Is that time influencing um, what you see and what you do? Maybe I'm not speaking to anyone, but maybe I'm speaking to those who are struggling with this right now, especially in these times. Is this making our faith limping? 
Or are we not practicing compassion to others because we are so concerned about ourselves and our needs during this pandemic? Ruben challenges us to think about compassion to others even when we struggle, but how can we bless the others in times like this? What are the things that may be limping, uh, maybe making our faith limping? I want to be clear. When we think of this dynamic of the things of God and the things of the world, I'm not saying being a Christian means no Netflix or do not pursue a good job with a high salary or do not go to club with friends to dance. It does not mean that. What it means that as a Christian, do not let these things replace God in your life. Do not focus your whole energy, attention, time, resources to these things. Do not let yourself be guided by the empty promises that money, sex, and power will buy your happiness. Do not let your mindset be influenced by the things that are not from God or replace God. Idolatry is everything that replaces God from the center of your lives. But John is clear and he says, you know, all these things, they will fade away along with everything that people crave. But the ones that please God will live forever. Let's continue. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, and I will not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. So Elijah sets the challenge. One prophet against 450 prophets. Total disadvantage in numbers. Elijah even said, you go ahead, you choose the bull you want. Maybe the more perfect bull. You go ahead and you perform the worship first. And that pleased them. And they agree with that. And that told me something. Again, God loves to work from a disadvantage point. God loves to be in the underdog team. Let's think through. Gabi, last week, she mentioned the Israelites that left Egypt and now they were facing the Red Sea and there was an army of Egyptians well prepared behind them and these Israelites, they had no way to fight back with, against the Egyptians. What will they do? Do you know the story of Gideon that had a big army that was going to fight against the Midianites and God asks to lower the number of his soldiers down to only 300 against a horde of countless Midianites. You know the story of David against Goliath, a young shepherd against a giant, well-equipped and well-prepared soldier. Do you know the story of the young prophet Jeremiah, young in his age and he was called to perform a huge task you know the story of the 12 apostles? Many of them illiterate um, fishermen and they were called to a global task. You know the story of Jesus nailed on the cross and people looking at him and saying, it is, you're done, you're finished. Well, the outcome of all these stories 
is that God is victorious through it all. God works with the minorities, with the things that seems weak in your human, uh, human eyes, but the outcome is always victorious. God loves to start from the disadvantage points so that the glory of the victory, people can understand that belongs to God alone. And he partners with us. And many times he challenges us to be part of the underdog team so that we can learn our trust and faith in him alone. So do not feel too weak or too unable. Do not feel too small or too poor. Do not feel too alone to be fully used by God. Just be available. And Reuben also reminded us, God does not call the equipped, but he equips those he calls. May we stand like David when he faced Goliath. And David said, you come to me with, with your sword, with your javelin, with all your equipment, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. And David was victorious because God was with him. Verse 26. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or he's relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip or he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still there was no sound, no reply, no response. The silence of Baal is the silence of the empty promises of the things of the world that are not from God. In the end, everything fades away. The things that are not from God will not bring us anything that fulfills us. The gods made of stone and wood, they failed the challenge there. In the same way, the things that are not from God, but that we replace God with, they will never fully satisfy us. So who do we want to serve? Who do we want to surrender our time, our resources, our lives completely? They raved all afternoon. They went to the extreme of cutting themselves with knife. How foolish did they look? They pressed and pressed and pressed over again against for a God made of stone and wood. They pressed the nothingness. How full do we look when we press over and over and over again in godless living or in sinful, or in sinful pleasures? How full do we look when we press over and over and over again into the desires that please our temptations? 
How foolish do we look when over and over again in our desire to find purpose and success in life, our first thoughts are not directed to God but to our own strategies. Our first thoughts are thoughts of fear. We start pressing the wrong things when we let ourselves be to be measured by the circumstances or by the, our success to be defined by, by the world standards. They were pressing the wrong God, but we should press into our Creator, who is the one that brings purpose to our lives and no one else. We should press towards Him and towards His standards. And His standards are wisdom, righteousness, devotion to God, holiness, purity, peace-loving, gentleness, humility, mercy, and on and on and on. Those are the things we need to press on. Verse 30. So then Elijah came and he called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Interesting, there was already an altar there, but he had been torn down, it had been forgotten. How many times we forget the things, the miracles or the wonders that God has done in our lives in the past and the moments of wonder, of worship are torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he, got, he dug a, a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about 12 liters. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and he laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four jars, um, four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, um, I lost myself here. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. There was no way, the wood was completely soaked, there was no way that anyone could set that altar on fire quickly. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones and the dust. It even leaked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord is God. Yes, the Lord is God. So God answered Elijah. Elijah did not have to scream the whole day. Elijah did not have to cut himself to be listened. He just prayed to a God that is alive. People were praying to a God they could see with their eyes, made of stone and wood. The God failed the challenge, was dead, was nothing. Elijah could not see the God Yahweh, but that God was alive. And the answer came. But you know what? 
God did not just answer Elijah. The purpose was not to humiliate those 450 prophets there. Verse 37, as Elijah prays, tell us what was the purpose of God behind that miracle. What was the why God did what he did? God was answering so that the people would be brought back to him. And I think, I don't think, I'm sure, every single miracle you see in the Bible is a display of God in his willingness to rescue people, to bring people back to him. This is the father heart of God. God works miracles and he displays his glory to bring people back to him. The ultimate reason for God to reveal himself in any way is so that people can turn to him and worship him. I'm sorry to say, but that's why for me personally, it's so difficult to see miracles being performed uh, in churches or in different ministries, uh, languages being uh, said or any sort of miracles. And if we, if, we, if we don't see clearly that the glory is being back to God and people are being brought near God, but glory is being done by the prophet or by the ministry, I think that is not, uh, it, it is failing the ultimate purpose. And I do believe in miracles. I do believe in wonderful things. God makes miracles every single day. But let it be known that every single miracle that God displays, being something that for God is natural, but for us is something wonderful. The ultimate purpose is for us to be brought back, restored, a, a relationship to be restored to God. And the ultimate miracle the climax of the revelation of God's glory was when he himself, Jesus Christ, came down to earth. So people could see him. People could hear him and touch him. He came. He performed many miracles and wonders to restore a relationship that was broken between the creator and his creatures. When we were wandering away, when we were limping in our faith with no purpose, chasing after anything, He gives us an opportunity to be brought back to Him. And this is the message of the gospel. How much longer will we waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, if this is the message of the gospel for each one of our lives, then let us follow him. So in conclusion, I want to go back to verse 24. When Elijah explained the challenge, he said that call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire is the one true God. Why the challenge to be a fire coming down from heaven and burning the altar, the, the wood, everything into pieces? Couldn't it be anything else? Couldn't God just struck the 450 prophets right there to display his power? But the Israelites, they knew the meaning of fire coming down from heaven. They knew how God had displayed himself through fire before. 
Fire was the symbol of God's presence in their midst. Let's do another memory challenge. Do you remember that when God spoke to Moses, he was in that burning bush? Do you remember that when a, col that a column of fire guided the Israelites throughout the desert at night for 40 years? And when the tabernacle was set in the desert, fire came down and consumed the first burnt offering? Do you remember that when the temple was ready with King Solomon, God consecrated it with fire coming down from heaven again? And do you remember the story that when on the day of Pentecost, when the church of God was this to initiate this global task to be witnesses of Jesus around the world, fire came down as the Holy Spirit empowered the first Christians. We might not see a column of fire in front of our eyes. But with the eyes of our faith, with our minds, we can be assured that the fire of God is upon us through the Holy Spirit that fills our lives. God is present each and every day. We are under holy fire every day. We are victims of a better display of God's power in our lives than in the times of Elijah. Because the Holy Spirit is present in our lives every day. This is what the Bible says. I might say I never saw a column of fire in front of me, but my spiritual eyes, my whole being, trust in Jesus. And he said, blessed is the one who has not seen, but believed. You know, Elijah saw this great miracle, but in the next chapter, he experienced an emotional low, discouragement, and he was even afraid of this mad queen Jezebel. You can read at home, chapter 19. The people that saw that miracle, they worshipped God on that day, but soon after, you read a couple of challenges after, and the people started falling away, limping in their faith again. So seeing miracles are not a requirement to have faith. But faith is the answer to what we don't see, but we believe. Again, seeing miracles cannot be the fool of our faith. But faith is the answer for the things we do not see, but we still believe and walk forward. So may we press over and towards the right God. Let us draw near God and he will draw near us. Let us pursue that in intimacy with God that produces fruits, that, child, that, uh, that refines our character. Fruits of wisdom, fruits of righteousness, of godliness, purity, peace, gentleness, humility, mercy, and on and on and on again. May we pray like Elijah. James says, Elijah was a human as we are, but he prayed earnestly. May we resist the devil. Fire is God's constant presence. Fire is God's power and glory. And fire refines us.